John chapter 12, those cowardly believers in John 12, 42 and 43, recalling the words read this morning, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. If you noted this morning, the points in the sermon just followed the text, right? The first point was, or the first note was, the simple assertion of this assessment, this apostolic assessment. And that's found in these words, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. And then the second note was, Note the contrasting lack of action in light of the assessment. Look back at the text of the scripture again. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but, that's why I named my second point, the contrasting lack of action in light of the assessment. The assessment, many believed in him. The contrasting lack of action in light of the assessment is this. But, because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They should have confessed him if they had true and saving faith. They would have. By the way, if you have true and saving faith and you have believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth... It's neither your belief nor your confessing with your mouth that's the ground or basis of your salvation. It's an evidence of it. Quit preaching my sermon, sister. Jesus is is always, you know, the answer to that one. Thank you. That means she's listening. But because of the Pharisees. And then note my third point of the text was this. The reason for the contrasting lack of action. Why didn't they confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue? They didn't confess him because they didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. So external pressure uh, was coming into the theater of their soul. And they were thinking about their options. And they concluded, I'd rather not get kicked out of the synagogue than confess Jesus publicly, which is makes these guys cowards, right? And the last thing I noted was verse 43. It's very clear that something's way wrong with these, quote, unquote, believers in Jesus. I titled this point right from the text, The inward motivation for the contrasting lack of action. Why did they not confess him even though they supposedly believed in him? Externally, because they didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Internally, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The second contemplation I should have had them in reverse order, but this is the way I had it in my notes yesterday when I finished writing, was this. It's the one I camped on earlier. Some in my hearing this day have some sort of belief in Christ, but have not publicly confessed him. And I walked through some potential um, uh, um, issues or shoes that people in 
this building could wear as their own in terms of, yes, that's me. I have faith like them or I have saving faith and I'm in the process of publicly proclaiming my uh, faith in Christ, confessing him publicly, or I didn't know I was supposed to do it and now I want to do it. Remember, we walked through those scenarios. But now I want to concentrate on my sheep, the members of our church, in, under this heading. Some in my hearing right now have publicly confessed their faith in Christ. You remember what I said? Next in my, lecture, uh, my sermon notes is this. I bless God for this. Exclamation point. Why do I bless God for this? Because we're brothers and sisters. We're united together in Christ and with one another, and we're walking shoulder to shoulder in this sin-cursed world with the name of Christ on our lips and all over our lives. We're all doing it together. And that's a good thing. We're bearing one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. We are the community, the most uh, close community of saints that that we, we should know in our lives. And we are performing the one another's among ourselves. There's something unique about being... Uh, among those who have publicly professed their faith in Christ. You have not only believed in the heart, but confessed him with the mouth and with your feet. You have done other things in light of true and saving faith being born in your heart. Your faith in Christ has corresponding actions which indicates its truthfulness, It's savingness, that is, your faith. In other words, you have fruit in your life. Not only confession of faith in Christ, but its corresponding informed fruits, such as baptism. Everybody that's a member of our church has been scripturally baptized. God's visible sign to the baptizened, the one baptized, hopefully soon, right? And all other baptized persons that that person is mine, united to my son, all the benefits of his death, burial, and resurrection are that person's and everybody else's who's been baptized, okay? So your faith made you confess Christ publicly with corresponding informed actions like baptism and church membership and weekly Lord's Day public worship, a fellowship with other saints. These are all fruits from true, saving, genuine faith. And they are also blessings from God. This came from your public profession of faith. You can think about Don't think very hard. Don't think about any individual person. But let's say we had somebody who hadn't done all those things, truly believed in Christ, publicly professing him, got baptized and joined, let's just say, our church. But they're kind of dangling on the sidelines. They're missing out, right? State of their souls up to them and God. We don't know. The Lord knows his own. But most in this room have, have, have gone all the way, right? You, have, you just said, I'm in. That's what I want to do. I want to be with you guys every Lord's Day. I want to 
Hear that preacher every Lord's Day, but not every single Lord's Day of the year. Please bring visiting preachers in every once in a while so we can have a re some relief. I want to cry with you. I want to laugh with you. I want to sing with you. I want to live with you. On Here's what's going to happen, too. I want to die in your presence, and I want you kind of people, you, you kind of folks at my memorial or funeral or whatever. All these are because you've made a public profession of faith in Christ, and at one point you were baptized, and you have joined yourself with others. So you get weekly Lord's Day public worship. You get fellowship with other saints, one another's. You get rejoicing around the Lord's table with the same people, bearing their burdens, praying for them privately. You get all that, and you also get strained relationships with family and friends due to all of this, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. We, over the years, my wife and I, we didn't sit our, our uh, non-churchly family down and say, we're, we're, we're going to train you. We didn't, we didn't do that, but we trained them. Over time, they either moved the time of things or moved the day of things because they knew where we would and would not be. And you're doing so, your public profession, confession of Christ and all that involves in light of the entirety of the New Testament is not what saved you, right? What saved me? Words that came out of my mouth. What's the sign say? And the song say, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, right? And he saves by grace through faith, which is the soiled hand that receives him. As many as received him. To them, he gave the right or authority to become sons or children of God who were born. Remember that? Not born of this, not born of that, but born of God. You were, your soul was tinkered with by Almighty God. And the result was you expressed saving faith in Christ. You believed in your heart and then you confessed him with your mouth and in terms of our church, we heard your confession, either you wrote it or you spoke it, and we supported you in your desire to be named among visible saints on the earth. That is a great privilege. And when Christ saves a sinner... Things change, don't they? George, that we prayed. Did I pray for him? I think I prayed for him, yes. The man mentioned in the prayer meeting, new believer, devouring scriptures. What kind of church is he going to? It didn't sound real positive, real good, but do you hear what our brother said? If he's doing that, he's going to outgrow his, his own church, or maybe somebody else said. I don't know who said it, but that's true. Life changes, doesn't it? You believe and do things which evidence your salvation, but do not in any way 
cause your salvation, correct? The ground or basis of your salvation is not because I've done things. Your stands for the truth of the gospel of our Lord are good and right, but your boldness for Jesus does not make you acceptable to God. Sister, Jesus does, right? Yes, she's holding back her her, uh, lips there. She knew the answer, though. Your confession of Christ evidences your salvation in Christ, but it does not constitute that salvation. Somebody help me. Amen, right? His work for us constitutes our salvation, not our work for him, including our public profession of him. But our public confession does say a lot about us, doesn't it? It says, I stand with our Lord, not against him. That's a good thing. It says that what I believe moves me to do certain things simply because I'm commanded to do so by my Lord. Why are you, why do you do that? My Lord says to do it. What about when you don't feel like doing it? I mortify my bad feelings and I do what's right nonetheless and I ask him to forgive me and sanctify it. It says to unbelievers, your actions in light of true faith. It says that, excuse me, it says that what I believe moves me to do certain things simply because what I'm commanded to. It says to unbelievers that on this The most important issue of life, my standing with God through Christ, says to unbelievers, though I love you, I stand against you on this. I stand for, therefore, I'm using the language of Jesus, you're either for me or against me. Do you realize that? We're against the unbelievers in our family on this issue. We don't hate them. We love them. Your public profession of faith in Christ and its corresponding fruits is basically your way of saying, I'm no longer crippled by the praise of men, the fear of men, although none of us struggle with the fear of men, right? Although I might struggle with it, it doesn't rule me anymore. It also says something about our ultimate allegiance or allegiances, our public profession confession of Christ. True believers in Christ have him as their ultimate allegiance, though that allegiance does in no way save them. I read a book a few years ago on the early church and the Trinity and how what the early church fathers did with the scriptures was the exact same thing Jesus and the apostles were doing with the scriptures. What they were doing was looking at the Old Testament and interpreting Jesus in light of it. And it was a fascinating book. 
A few years ago, the same author wrote a book, Salvation by Allegiance. Can I do this? For anybody listening, I just stuck my finger up my tongue on my tongue there. Salvation by allegiance, and he meant it. Salvation by obedience. A major Christian publisher in the United States published it. At first I thought, nah, that's just a cutesy title. He doesn't really believe that. He believes it. Our allegiance to Christ doesn't constitute the grounds for our acceptance with God. It's a corresponding fruit of faith in Christ, but it doesn't lay any sort, any percentage of the basis or ground for our salvation. That's all outside of us. True believers in Christ have him as their ultimate allegiance, though that allegiance does in no way save them. True believers take the mockery from others. They sometimes get shamed by others for their faith and public confession of Christ, by the way, which didn't just happen a long time ago. Your presence here is a public confession of your faith in Christ. So true believers take the mockery from others. They sometimes get shamed by others for their faith in Christ and their continual pattern of publicly confessing him. You're doing that every Lord's Day. True believers take the mockery from others. They sometimes get shamed by others for their faith and public profession of Christ and all of its corresponding commitments in life. Uh, For some of you, something as simple as during your break at work, you read your Bible and people laugh at you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, getting it not maybe from workmates, but family members. Jeers and sneers and mocking stuff, you know, Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to do this. I have in my notes, let us stand to hear God's word, then sing and enjoy the supper together. So if you do that, uh, I have two verses I want to read. I think it explains everything I just was just preaching about concerning the contemplation upon the cowardly belief of some of the rulers in the first century. This contemplation was concentrating on the members of our church, and that's what I just went through. Here is the text I want you to hear. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.